Today is the fourth day of November 2022, and I would like to welcome you to our Chapter 49 podcast. We did have to miss a week last week. Sorry about that. Uh, But I wanted to um, get the opportunity to visit my daughter's family in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Got a chance to do that. And uh, always happy to be back home after a very good visit uh, out to the north and west of Indiana. And we welcome back our chapter president, Duncan Giles, after a week's uh, off on, on the podcast. And I say one thing, Duncan, when we are away, it seems like that's when the most news is generated. Yeah, it certainly does. It's, it's always fun because something always pops up either right after a podcast or when we're not going to be having a podcast that week. I just want to say one important thing that everyone should know. Uh, I have a local news blog that I write, and that's my uh, handle for my Twitter account. And I just want you to know, I've never had a blue mark, and I'm not paying for one. <laughs> yeah, that's that's going to be uh, interesting. The whole situation there is going to be interesting. Let's put it that way. Well, let's put it this way. The day we're recording this, again, on, on November 4th, that's the day. <laughs> and just a few hours after we uh, record this, Elon Musk is going to announce which 50% of his workforce will be fired today. So lawsuits are already being filed about it. So uh, I'm sure that uh, there will be lawyers when it comes to things like that. But uh, anyway, we'll uh, move on. We have lots of topics today, so let's move on to, to the topics we need to talk about. And the first thing we want to do, because we are recording this and posting this just a few days uh, before no. Uh, well, I guess it's not just a few days, but it's 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 going to come up here very soon. The November 8th election, that's on a Tuesday, of course. There are many areas of the country, including Indiana. Some, depend, how it works depends on where you live in Indiana. Uh, but there has been uh, early voting going on for, for several days, and the actual election day is November 8th. And one thing that federal employees should all be aware of, particularly those that work at IRS, but it's, it's, kind of, it's, a, it's a government-wide um, uh, how should I put it, a government-wide rule, but uh, agencies have little ins and outs about how they handle it. So if you wish to vote on November 8th and wish to take up to four hours of administrative leave to do so, what do people need to know, Duncan? Yeah, the, there's an executive out order out there from President Biden that gives federal employees up to, that's a very important phrase, up to four hours if needed to vote. And that includes travel time going back and forth. Uh, The caveat and the very big caveat for this is as business needs dictate. In other words, if folks in the IRS and certain divisions say, we can't release you at this particular time, we can do it at this time instead, Um, on the 8th, they have the legal right to do that. Or they can say, we cannot spare you for four hours. We can only spare you for two hours. And this could come up in accounts management, submission processing, uh, TAS, uh, the folks in the walk-in offices are ones that leap immediately to mind that, you know, they've been in the accounts management They've been having all hands on deck for several weeks. And as we all know, their level of service is atrocious. So they may use that to say, you know, you can't get as much time as you'd like. 
So, you know, each situation should be handled on a case-by-case basis, but you want to get that request in to your manager as soon as possible. Yeah, that's true. That's always been true. But uh, so there was a, a, how should I put it, a kerfuffle many, many years ago. I think it was even before you were involved in union activity where a particular part of the IRS in Indianapolis uh, didn't want to give uh, administrative leave to anybody. And uh, let's just say we got that settled. And it actually all came blew up on the day of the election, which was quite unusual for that to happen. So I guess the, the basic advice you're giving people now is if you wish to vote on November 8th, get that administrative uh, time request in right now and work out with your manager when during the day you can take that time. Exactly so, because the earlier that you get it in, that you ask the permission, that way they'll have more time to work with the system, with those above them, to make sure that you can get time to vote, because that is extremely important that everyone should vote. You know, it's interesting. Years ago, I had signed up for my administrative leave to go vote. And you know what happened? Uh, in, the, in the town where I lived at the time, they canceled the election because nobody from the other party even filed to, to run. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there were no contested races in my town. Therefore, they canceled the election. So, of course, I had to cancel my administrative leave. That's kind of an unusual thing. It doesn't happen often, but it did happen at one time for me. So, again, if there are any questions about this administrative leave, if you're in Indiana, contact Duck and Giles or any of the stewards around the state that are with Chapter 49. And if you're listening outside Indiana, uh, check with your local chapter. And now is the time to do that uh, if you're listening uh, before, uh, as, uh, as soon as you can before November 8th as, as possible. Let's move on to something else, because, Duncan, you and I have have talked uh, extensively about this. You were on the bargaining team that was there the entire time when the national agreement was bargained. And one of the major sticking points that you had with the management was this idea that uh, you have to come in the office two days uh, every two weeks, basically, in a pay period, a two-week pay period. You have to come into the office two days during that pay period time. Uh, uh, that's a requirement. And the reason for that revolved around where your post of duty is located uh, for locality pay. And there were some other issues as well. The service is now working on a pilot program to allow people to work from their home all the time and establish their POD at a particular place. Uh, I think this is a very interesting development, but again, there's a an interesting catch to that. So explain what's going on here. Yeah. Aren't there always interesting catches, Larry, with some of these things? Um, basically what they're doing is the IRS is running a 16 month pilot program with certain employees and certain divisions to be able to work from home and not have to report to the office twice a pay period. Now the fun part gets in this type of situation when it's a pilot, that due to statutory uh, necessity, the IRS gets to choose who and when, you know, who and what division they're out of. Unfortunately, NTU, we'll, we'll give as much input as we possibly can. And I know uh, NTU National and several of the chapter leaders that were on this team absolutely did. But, you know, the IRS, for the most part, is going to go with um, you know, bargaining unit, 
positions that are analysts for the most part, things of that nature. It's not going to be, uh, you know, like if you're in a call site or you're a revenue officer, revenue agent, you know, you're not going to see those types of folks in this pilot. Uh, and uh, like I said, it'll run for 16 months. At the end of it, they'll see whether it's a success or not, and then uh, hopefully roll it out. Because NTU is a huge proponent of working from home wherever possible. Uh, the vast majority of the time, you don't need to be in the particular office to do the job that you have. So we want to give folks that option if they uh, wish to partake it of working from home. So we're going to be watching this study very carefully and continually pushing for more and more bargaining unit employees to be able to participate. So the bottom line is, uh, if you say, hey, I'd like to volunteer for the pilot, uh, sorry, it's already been taken care of. And it's mostly people outside the bargaining unit and those that are a very select number of people. Am I hearing that correctly? You are hearing that exactly correctly. All right. So we, I guess the good news is there will be a study that will hopefully roll out to, to everyone. The bad news is the pilot will not include very many people to do the core work uh, for IRS. We're going to keep a, a close eye on this. And I will. I guess the question then is once the data is in on this pilot, 16 months is a long time for any kind of pilot. Well, once that's done, will the management be required to share that data with IRS and talk to the National Union about this? Yeah, that is one of the things that they got out of the agreement is that we would like to see that data at the national level. We want to, you know, see how it impacted the employees, whether there was a benefit to staying home, which we believe there will be, and whether productivity was the same, whether somebody was in the office or from home, because we believe employees uh, can and usually are more productive from home than they actually are in the office. So, yeah, absolutely national NTU will be taking a look at that data to uh, hopefully expand this in the future after the initial pilot. And as you and I talked about in a previous podcast, this is not just a, a government issue. This is a, an employer-employee issue across the board in the United States of America. And it goes back to the idea that during the pandemic, people were working in their homes all the time, government and private sector either all the time or almost all the time. And now the employers, not just government, but private sector as well, doing everything they could do to lure people back into the office. And the employees are resisting big time. So I think that uh, this may be a recognition by the IRS that this may become a trend they cannot buck and they need to at least take a look and see whether under government rules uh, we, we can work within those rules and still allow people to work at their home either all the time or most of the time. Very well put, Larry, because, yeah, it's tough to put this genie back in a bottle where, you know, we had a lot of people saying you can't do this job, you can't do this job, and you can't do this job from home. It's simply not possible, wouldn't be done. Lo and behold, the panic, pandemic comes up two years straight. They're able to do those jobs. And now they want to say, oh, no, you can't do those jobs from home. you got to come in to do it. Uh, wait a minute. 
All We've right, so, got an issue with us. <laughs> yes. So, so this is a very important pilot, and uh, we will keep an eye on this. I don't think we'll get ongoing data, but we will, as a union, at least nationally, we'll we'll have the data once it's over and see what the the management uh, makes of it, and see if we, uh, as a union, can can push even harder for people to work more in their homes when that is sometimes the most productive way to work, we think. Moving on, there's another issue that comes up every time this year, and it's in past years come up outside this time of year. But the rules are pretty well set, and we don't always like all of them, but we have to do what we can, push as hard as we can, and get the best deal we can. And this has to do with the annual awards cycle. The awards are going to come out at the end of this month, but even with knowing that date, there's a lot we do not know. So tell us what we do and do not know about the upcoming awards. Yeah, this is one of those things where the awards used to come out earlier, the end, the last quarter of the fiscal year, and they've been pushing this legally and contractually they can to the first quarter of the following year. So basically in um you know, October, November, December. And so this year, the awards are going to be coming out November 28th. And as soon as this information comes out, of course, we get the people going, how much am I going to get? Am I, do, does my position qualify? What does it take to get an award? We don't know. <laughs> Nationally, we have no idea. Locally, for sure, your chapter has no clue at this point. We do know that if you have a 4.6 and outstanding rating, that that would qualify. But aside from that, we don't know. We have to wait. It's the top 55% and ties in each pool now of employees in a particular pool. Now, the pools have changed this year a little bit where it's more nationally based. The pool, there are less pools. So, for example, if you are a revenue agent you're going to be going uh competing against you know, measured against not competing against measured against the rest of ras in the country if you're a csr on a call site it's going to be the top 55 percent of performances in that arena not just in your call site or in your director so it takes some time to get that information together we are <clears throat> What happens is the IRS eventually sends it to national NTU. National NTU puts it into chapters and then sends it out to the chapters. And we usually only get this information a few days before the awards actually come out. Um, every chapter handles it differently. What I like to do now in Indiana is I send out an email to all the members in Indiana saying, hey, look, we've got the awards information if you want your award information, whether you qualify, if you do, how much, to send me an email. The awards will be 2% of the pools, which is the same as it was last year. So the award amount should be fairly significant as they were last year, but we just don't have the information on what score hits it, who's going to get it, and how much, and won't until later this month. So uh, when you put that email out, when you get that information inviting people to ask you, uh, does your inbox melt down at that point? It's sort of like opening up a fire hydrant and just taking that blast full on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, everybody wants to jump in and know, and that's understandable. So 
And I'm and I for one uh, am very happy to give out that information. I love giving that information. If I can tell people, hey, you're getting money, and this is how much you're getting, or you're getting time off, you know, that's that's one of the best parts of my job is to give them that great news when they have that. Uh, so yeah, it, it does it does blow it up, but I love it every year because I just take them in the emails and the order I receive and just pump them out as fast as I can. I want to point something out that people don't always appreciate, Duncan. I started out as an NTEU steward in the late 1980s, and the very first meeting we all had of all the stewards in Indiana was right after there was a, a new contract provision allowing for awards. Now, I just want to remind people, this award program was not put together because the management really felt it was a great idea or it was something that the management uh, decided to do as a favor to employees. Oh, no, because NTEU pushed very hard at the bargaining table to begin and tried to make better over the years the uh, awards program, we've kind of gone back and forth as to how good the program is working or how well it's working for employees. Uh, but I will say that when you get these award amounts, remember, this is not a gift from the management. This is something that your union bargained hard for for many years, finally got into the contract in the late 80s. It's been a, poor, a part of um, NTU contracts since then. We had local agreements back in those days. Now it's more of a national program. And, and I want to ask you this question, too, as part of this. Just in your judgment, based on what you have seen in your time, and you've been in this, this that chair for a long time as chapter president and have been on national negotiations for years as well, nationalizing the pools, has that been better or worse for most employees, in your view? Yes. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a little bit of both. It used to be... You know, it depended on the agreement. You know, in Indiana, I think, you know, the predecessors that I had that negotiated our local awards made it very, very clear who would qualify, how you would qualify, things of that nature. Other agreements across the country were not near as clear um, from an IRS standpoint, from what they explained then. And, uh, you know, what I certainly understand them now, it was a nightmare for them to administer all these different awards agreements. And that's why they had to come with one agreement. And you're exactly right. This is, this is not something that the IRS did out of the goodness of their heart. Um, this is something that we had pushed long and hard for and continue to do to try and tweak it every chance we get to make it um, as fair as possible and better every single time that we can and to put more money in members' pockets. That's what we want to do is make sure that you're getting, you know, rewarded for the good work that you're doing. Moving on to another issue, not as pleasant as awards at all. This is a grievance that has been filed nationally and for labor practice as well. We've talked about this actually, uh, even though we've been off for a week, we've been talking about this for the last couple of podcast that we have uh, recorded. This has to do with this policy that the management has come up with uh, to deny annual leave requests during the tax filing season, which basically goes from the day after New Year's all the way through mid-April. It's an effort to try to get the level of service back up, but we're not sure that's actually going to, uh, how should we put it, 
achieve that goal the way it's being rolled out. So the National Union has pushed back very hard on this to the point where the management just isn't listening. There has been a grievance and this uh, unfair labor practice that has been filed at the national level. So two things I'd like you to do, Duncan. Number one, explain what the management says they're going to do this filing season in accounts management and explain what NTEU has done in response. Yeah, basically what management has said is the fact that they want to get to an 85% level of phone service uh, this filing season. So they are saying that they are not going to allow um, any annual leave during the period you described, which could be extended to even May. Um, I would hope not, but I've, I've heard rumblings of that. Uh, you know, they want to get to this 85% number that Secretary of Treasury Yellen mentioned in a meeting uh, with employees and press in New Carrollton, Maryland, uh, a month or so ago. And it's a... How do I nicely phrase this? A highly unrealistic goal that's not going to be met regardless of whether you're giving people leave or not. So it's one of those things that, you know, we've looked at our contractual, what we have contractually. We've looked at what's in the 2012 customer service agreement and said, this is not something that is correct. It's not right. We believe you violated a couple of provisions and you also didn't negotiate with us before rolling it out. So therefore, National NTU has filed a national grievance as well as an unfair labor practice for not uh, talking to us before unilaterally rolling it out. The bad news is, is these things take time. So, you know, I want everybody who wants to put in leave, put in your leave, get it requested. If you get it denied, We'll let your chapter know so we can keep records of that so we can send it to national office and to you national office so we can have examples of what's happened. But we, uh, I, I think it's going to be very tough for this to be resolved before the filing season. And the only way it could be resolved before the filing season is if management decides they want to, and there's no indication of that. And I want to emphasize something you just said. Go ahead and put in for leave you want to take during the tax filing season, during this period, whatever it is. Whether it begins, it'll begin in the first of January. Whether it ends in April or May, uh, every denial you get, keep a record of that. Send it to your local chapter, because if there is a successful grievance on NTEU's part, there'll have to be remedies, and you may in the end get something out of it. But just stopping this during the process. Because grievances are a long process, it's just the way it works. Uh, we really probably, unless a management makes a decision uh, different than what they made so far, uh, these leave denials will continue. But uh, it's very important that, that those records be kept, that you share them with your local chapter, uh, because if there's a remedy at the end or something given to people as a result of this, then we want to make sure that you as as a union member and, and part of the bargaining unit will have an opportunity to avail yourself of whatever remedy there is. Absolutely correct. And, you know, there are some things where management's really dancing around things like saying, well, there's no blackout dates. The way that accounts management does their leave, they have what's called an e-leave system where you show how many 
days are open and how many slots are open in your particular site. So they're still saying, oh, yeah, there's no blackout dates. We haven't said no. We're just going to deny everything. I'm sorry. I don't know how many angels you can get to dance on the head of a pin, but, you know, that's the same type of thing. There's, I don't care what you call it, no blackout dates, denials, whatever. Basically, you're abrogating employees' rights to take their annual leave as specified in both the national agreement and the customer service agreement. Well, the management sets up those parameters that you're talking about. And, and even though there's no, maybe not blackout dates uh, in, 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 per se, there will be the effect of blackout dates if that's the way you plug all the information into the system. So it really is a different way of saying it, but doing the same thing in the end, right? Exactly so. And there was there was some heavy scoffing at that type of terminology when NTU uh, received the briefing. I know because I was doing a lot of the scoffing at that. Oh, you were at the briefing, huh? I didn't know I that. was at the briefing and uh, because I've been involved in accounts management issues for uh, many, many, many years and very familiar with the leave system uh, that's used for accounts management in particular. And this, this was never, ever, ever envisioned. Would they reduce leave during filing season due to phone demands? Absolutely, that's common sense. Would they say, oh, no, we're not going to let anybody take any leave? And that's bargaining unit and non-bargaining unit. So it's just something that was never envisioned that something like this would come down, and that's why we're uh, fighting it nationally. So any questions on this, contact your local chapter. You can contact Duncan if you're in Indiana and uh – We'll be keeping an eye on this very closely. It may take a while to get this settled, but eventually something will have to happen on this. It may not, unfortunately, be before the the this whatever you want to call blackout <laughs> or just requiring everybody to be in the office just based on what the system demands are going to be. Let's talk about something else, and, and this is an issue that's been going on ever since I came to work for the federal government in 1983. What is the pay gap? That is the gap between the private sector and the government sector, the federal government in this case. Uh, there's always been a pay gap. The amount has always been controversial. But there is a, a special federal salary council that does look at data on this. And the latest data indicates that, Duncan, once again, federal employees are losing ground in this private sector versus government sector pay gap. Yeah, there's always been a disparity in this, but due to the circumstances during the pandemic and now with inflation, it just continues to grow. And so, you know, we're very glad that the salary councils salary council is looking at this and hoping that, you know, the federal government will take a look at this and try and do some more realistic pay uh, so we can attract younger people, we can attract more people. And we can keep the great folks that we have who may say, you know, I can get a better deal somewhere else. So why wouldn't I? So, you know, everybody votes with their pocketbook. for Not everybody, but for the most part, people vote with their pocketbook. And the more competitive we can make federal salaries, I think the better it is for everyone. Well, Duncan, one thing we've talked about a little bit on this uh, podcast at times there's been speculation as to whether Commissioner Charles Reddick would be reappointed. It's a five-year term for a, a, uh, 
an IRS commissioner. The way when the IRS was reorganized in the late '90s, that's how that was set up. His five-year term is coming to an end here shortly. Uh, there was some uh, speculation about whether the President uh, Biden would want him to stay on for a while or reappoint him to another five-year term. We have an answer to that, and what is that answer? Uh, that answer is, is he will not be staying past his term. Uh, his term ends on November the 12th, and he will be departing at that time. So we will be having uh, an acting commissioner until one is appointed by the president and passes uh, the Senate review. Right. There's a confirmation process uh, that goes through the Senate, of course, and uh, there will be an executive uh, uh, who will be uh, – uh, who will be holding the fort until uh, we have a confirmed IRS commissioner. Uh, you've had a chance to meet with Commissioner Redding one-on-one during his tenure. Uh, what are your thoughts about the commissioner as he ends his tenure? Yeah, I think the commissioner, um, this commissioner, I think, has had, you know, they all have different pressures and face different challenges. But I think Commissioner Redding has had the biggest challenge that any commissioner probably ever has due to the pandemic. Um, and I, overall, I commend commissioner Reddick. I think that he has uh, listened to his staff. He has listened to NTU for the most part, not all the time, but for the most part. And he's tried to do what's right for the employees as well as he can. Have there been missteps? I absolutely think so. I'm not going to be in lockstep with the, uh, with probably any IRS commissioner. They have their, what they're looking for. I have what I'm looking for or what national NTU is looking for. Sometimes they don't meet, but you know, the vast majority of the time I feel that he has listened when employees have concerns and um, have tried within his power to alleviate it. I do know that he holds employees in a great deal of respect. He does, uh, think that the job that the employees do under him is extremely valuable and they do a great job of it. So for that, I'm appreciative. And I, we've had some commissioners, one in particular, I'm not going to mention that have been absolutely freaking horrible uh, to employee issues. But I, you know, I don't see Commissioner Reddick at all in that way. Okay, Duncan, uh, time's about up. Uh, your final comment. Yeah, my final comment today is going to be on uh, on the EAP, the Employee Assistance Program. You know, it's one of those things where I, I've we've been dealing here in Indiana. There have been some very stressful situations uh, between employee and employee, between employees and managers in different uh, divisions. And, you know, I think that a lot of it is miscommunication and a lot of it is stress. We're all in a very stressful position uh, some folks uh, have trouble handling that, understandably so. And to you know, reach out to somebody from the EAP, get some counseling, get some help, talk to somebody about some of these things is extremely important. I think it can be so very helpful to do that. And I wish that more people would uh, take advantage of that. Don't let this stuff fester inside of you. Talk to a professional. Talk to someone that can help you deal with these types of issues um, because your mental health is as important as your physical health, and we want both of them to be in great shape. You know, I think some of us don't even real, realize how much the pandemic impacted us. 
you know, so we need to just keep an eye on our own selves. So you know yourself better than anyone. And if you need help, don't be afraid to ask for it. My final comment is, is for those who are listening or watching before the election on November 8th. Uh, obviously, as federal employees, we pay attention to members of Congress, members of the Senate, and that kind of thing. Uh, they make the rules for us and the president, of course, when there isn't a presidential election. But I would urge everyone to pay close attention to your local elections, particularly like township trustees. You may not know what they do in Indiana, for example, but they do work that is important to your local community. And most importantly, I would urge people, particularly in Indiana, to pay attention to their school board races. And there are school board races throughout the country. In Indiana, for example, if you vote a straight ticket, one party or the other, it's a nonpartisan election for a school board. You have to continue on and and uh, and actually uh, think about voting for those school board candidates. So look at your local elections because your local government has more impact on you than you may think. So with that, Duncan Giles, thank you very much. We always uh, appreciate uh, the chance to talk with you, and we did get the chance uh, to do it this week when we didn't last week, and we were able to catch up on a number of issues that came up while we were away. But I want to thank everyone for watching and listening. As I've said before, you know, this this is a kind of a labor of love for for Duncan and I. You know, it's it's uh, something that I do as a volunteer and Duncan does this as part of his job as chapter president mostly because of the feedback we receive from all of you, those of you who watch or listen to this podcast. Uh, we continue it because you say we provide information that you enjoy. We try to make it uh, a kind of laid-back uh, thing, not too formal, just have, have have a regular conversation as you might have around a, a break or lunch table at work. So I want to thank you for watching and listening. We'll be back, if all goes well, next week with another Chapter 49 podcast. So until that time, please be safe and be kind.